All right, well, um, I know I've met uh, quite a few people that are here today, and so just for all of you that are new here, welcome, and for all the rest of us, man, it's, uh, I just sat and I looked back over all of us worshiping Jesus this morning, and, and uh, gosh, I love this church. I love being here. I love being a shepherd here, and so just thanks for making my job easy, some of you. <laughs> all of you, okay. It's kind of like my children, you know? Um, we're in the book of Revelation. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Revelation 13. That's where we're going to be at today. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand, and one of these uh, guys would be happy to hand you a Bible. But what we've been trying to do is move through the book of Revelation at kind of a breakneck pace. Uh, several people have been coming up to me and saying things like, are you ever going to slow down? And for all of you that have asked if I'm ever going to slow down, today is the day. All right? Yes, yes. Now, part of it is, is just, if you remember right, the reason we talked about that we're going to kind of push through this at kind of that fast rate is that sometimes we get lost in the details. And so a lot of this is to kind of allow us just for a moment before we get caught in the minutia, just to see the grand picture. In fact, I'd say this, before you ever study a book of the Bible, one of the things you should do is catch the big picture of it before you actually even study it. A lot of people dive in and start studying and actually miss that this book that's been written has a grand picture to it. And if you try to interpret it or understand it without taking that big picture, you're going to get lost in the middle of it. And so it's just, there you go, a little bit of Bible study tip for you. But one of the things that people have been saying to me as I've interacted with them is around this issue of the control of God. They'll come up to me and generally the conversation will start along the lines of, hey, I, I, I so appreciate the way you've presented just this reality of God being in control, that he is in control of all things. And then there's always the but. How is it that God can be in control and yet we live in the world in which we live in? It seems to me in my head, if God's in control, then these things wouldn't be happening. And therefore, if he's not in control, that kind of changes how you should look at this. And we should come at it from a different angle and more ask the question then along the lines of what does it mean now if, if humans have this capacity? Now, it's a great question. And if you've never wrestled through that question before, you should. It's a difficult one to wrestle through. Because just living in this world and in, in, in the times that we live in, most of us at different points have gone through difficult times and we are wondering at different points, is God there? And if, you're, if you think you're the only one, a whole book called the book of Psalms is written and many times through it, David or one of the writers will say, how long? In fact, the word is atanah, it's, a, it's an onomatopoeia. I bet you were surprised I knew that word. But it's an onomatopoeia, which is just, it's meant to just come out in Hebrew from the standpoint of a breath exhaling, just wondering, God, where are you in the midst of this? And in talking a lot about this, the kind of the key word that tends to come up is this word that's called sovereignty. Now we throw that word around a lot and miss the fact that what it is, is it's God's kingly, his supreme rule and reign over all things, including his authority over everything that he's made. God is absolutely in authority over everything. Not only that, though, and here's what we've tried to kind of piece together throughout the book of Revelation, is God has a plan. 
He's working it out in all kinds of different ways. But again, the question is, is how do humans come into this? And I think one of the best ways to look at this particular reality is to actually go and look at the death of Jesus because we see a way, a kind of little snapshot for just a second of what it is that was going on, not only in God's control end of things, but also what was going on on a human level. And I would say this, we're going to get even to this idea of who Satan is, how Satan played a part in that. Now, Peter, when he was preaching at one point, he said this, he said, men of Israel, hear these words of Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, you yourselves know. This Jesus, look at this, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, in this little verse, you should see the tension. God is in control of all things, but who has culpability? The people. Now, some people will look at this and they'll say, yeah, well, he's talking about the Jewish people. Those of us that are Gentiles, we're totally cool. And I love the fact later in chapter four, he says, no, you're not. He says, for truly the city that were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, look at this, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So in this moment, what we see is that humanity is not exonerated, but yet God in all of his will and in all of his power was orchestrating everything in spite of the sinfulness of humanity to be able to come to the point in which Jesus Christ became the great fulfillment of Genesis 50, 20, where Joseph was standing over his brothers and he said to him, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it on this level, but how God is so powerful and supersedes all things that in spite of everything that's going on amongst humanity, our God cannot be thwarted. He cannot be stopped. Now, in spite of humanity's work, and I would say culpability, God sovereignly worked his plan. And you see this now, for truly in this city where they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. This is what we read before, but look at verse 28 to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. That's power. But that also leaves us in this thing we call attention. How do those two things work? How in the world is God superseding all things, but at the same time, humanity is still fulfilling its thing, and I'm gonna give you the word for the day. Are you ready for the word for today? You can take this to the office with you. You can share it with your friends. Antinomy. You know what an antinomy is? Anybody? Okay, one person is smart in this place. The rest of us are, I had to look it up. An antinomy is just these two things that are true, but they appear to be in contradiction. Now, the thing about the Bible as you read it, God is never afraid to leave us in an antinomy. He is never afraid to present two truths that we cannot wrap our little minds around. You read scripture for long, and you're going to realize that Deuteronomy 29, 29 was true. There are secret things that belong to God, and what's revealed to you, you can know, but you can't know past that. God doesn't relieve the tension He doesn't in any way come back and try to explain this complex relationship. All that God says to us is, is that both of these things are true. It's an antinomy. Now, some people look at that and they say, that's why Christians are so stupid. I think on one level, that's where Karl Marx talked about the religion is the opium of the people. In other words, it's the way that they control people. They just throw words like antinomy around. 
But what's nutty is, is it's not just Christians that think this way. In the, in the 18th century, this guy named Immanuel Kant, and I wouldn't recommend reading him because it's really boring. I tried once. But as he's writing out, this was the thing he was faced. He realizes that not only in religion, but in all of life, there are these two truths, absolutely true, but yet they appear to have a contradiction. And he was just laying it out in regards to humanity and who we are, is that all of life is full of two truths that when you put them together, they seem like they're in contradiction. And if you're like me, you don't like it, but it's true. We wrestle with it and we go over it. The thing that I think we learn on this is that our minds, we're just, we're just limited. We try as hard as we can, but our intellect's fallible, and we, we wrestle through very things. But I would say this, the very existence of antinomy says that there are things in creation, there's things about God, there's things about this world, there's things about humanity that just says we don't get everything. Now, there's this weird part of humanity that says we can do it all, but I'm here to tell you there's only one who doesn't live in antinomy, and the Bible constantly presents it as God, who his ways are higher than our ways. He stands above antinomy because he sees how all these things work together. Now, in the text that we're going to be in today, I think this is what's going on. Now, if you remember right, we laid out this kind of box top. This is what Christian did for us. And the thing we're going to look at today is this nature of the book. It's an apocalypse. We're going to, we're going to have something revealed to us. Something is going to be shown to us. This isn't like apocalyptic, like, you know, the end of the world. This is just apocalypse like we defined it earlier. God is going to show us. He's going to reveal to us this grand picture of what he's doing. Now, go with me to, to Revelation 13. Look at verse 7. And I just want to read this together. I'm going to read the whole time, the, the whole thing through. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take two passes at 13, 7 through 10. I'm going to take one perspective in which we're going to look at this from the vantage point of God. And then we're going to take another pass through it. We're going to look at the vantage point of humanity to see kind of how this this fits together. But look at verse 7. It says, also it, and that's the beast we'll learn later on, was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. We're going to learn that means to actually kill them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Those are who are going to do this. And if anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone's to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Now, there's a little word in there I want you to see that we're going to kind of focus in on, which is this idea in verse 8 of everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world. Look at this. In the book of life of the Lamb who is slain. Now, anytime you start talking about before time, it kind of messes with our mind, doesn't it, a little bit? My son the other day came up to me and he said, Dad, how do you think about eternity? And I go, I don't. It's just so big and it's so huge. Now, in this particular passage, though, in verse 7, what we need to understand is who is this beast? Because we see it. Also, it, that's the beast, was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Now, watch this, though. An authority was given the beast over every tribe, people, and language, and nation. I hope you caught that. Who allowed him and who gave him authority? Those of you that have followed Jesus long enough, you know God did. 
Now in this though, we run into this difficulty is that what do we do with this? Now again, looking from this gigantic perspective in verse two, we learn that this beast is one that we're gonna find out next week, rises up from the ground and it says, I saw him and he was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Whoa, but watch this. And to the dragon, and to it, the dragon gave his power and throne and great authority to the beast. So there we're learning something. The beast rose up, but there's a dragon behind him, which we'll learn in just a second who he is. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. Now, you should have caught in there this idea of dragon. Now, the dragon he tells us in chapter 12 is this great dragon was thrown down, and and we're going to talk about it next week, but this is now the ancient serpent. Now, who's the ancient serpent? Satan. Who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. In other words, here's God allowing this to take place. He's giving authority to this one. He's allowing this one to have it. But behind this beast is this real being that sometimes people try to play off as the guy with horns and the the pokey tail and the the pitchfork. This is not who he is. In fact, Paul calls him in 2 Corinthians 11, an angel of light. He was an angelic being. And behind this beast is power. But don't miss this. God gave it to him. He had no authority whatsoever other than what God gave him. Now watch. And he says, all who dwell on earth now are going to worship the beast, volitional, humanity's choice to worship him. Right now, we're thrown into the antinomy. How is it that God can be in absolute control? He's superseding all things, and yet at the same time, humanity seems to be operating how it is that he wants to operate. But notice something in the middle of it. Again, like I told you before, is this book of life, the lamb who was slain. In other words, this has all been part of God's plan. We know from the very beginning, and we don't fully kind of understand what was going on, but somehow God had in his mind from the very beginning that there would already be this slain lamb, this one that would need to die for all of humanity. Before any human stepped on this earth, before there was Satan, before there was sin, before there was death, before there was rebellion, there is this reality of a God who understood and saw through things, and even in the midst of a group of people that would rebel against him without any way, him being condemned, because he is not the author of sin, he already had in motion and a plan between him and the son of rescuing humanity. Power. This serpent kind of throws us back into this idea of of the garden. When Satan tempted humanity and people are culpable, you find that all throughout the scripture, this is our antinomy, he had this thought somehow in the back of his head, I'm going to wreck the plan of God. Let me tell you something. Everybody that's ever tried to wreck the plan of God gets wrecked. Because we find out later, I'm sure he thought, finally, I have stepped in. I have thwarted the plan of God. But in Genesis 3.16, he helps the evil one understand that actually in your plan, you might have ended up piercing, he talks about the son of the seed of this woman, but that same one will do what to you? Crush you. Isn't that amazing? God in his grace was saying that literally Satan unknowingly set in motion a plan that would bring about his doom. That's power. 
I think this is why we see this book of, of life all throughout the book, or book of Revelation. We see it in 3, 5, in 17, 8, 20, 12, 20, 15, 21, 27. I think there's just this side of it in which he wants his people to understand, I have a plan. I know it's difficult what's going on for you right now. I understand things seem so topsy-turvy, but I'm telling you, I have a plan and it cannot be stopped and it's gonna finally arrive at a point in which my son will be victorious completely over all things things and he will set all things straight. You can trust my plan. I have orchestrated together all along and I'm trying to show you this to allow you to see it. I was trying to imagine this week, what was the conversation between the son and the father on this? The father looks at the son and he says to him, I've got this idea. And the son says, I know you do because we are one. And somehow now the father says to him, Ephesians 1, that he's going to choose this group of people that he's going to now give as a gift, according to, to, to John 10, to the Son. And the Son is going to receive this group of people, but again, he's the slain lamb that in some way in the mind of God, in order to see the fullness of who God is, the, the grandness of who he is, he's going to allow humanity to fall into rebellion so that now humanity can see his love and his mercy and his justice. It's kind of like looking at a diamond, and I never knew this until I shopped for my wife's ring. The guy kept telling me, watch the different intricacies of the diamond, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, dude. Which one's cheapest? <clears throat> My wife in this surface? No, baby, it was steep, honey. <laughs> it did feel a lot at that time. But he said, just look at it. See, I think sometimes we forget that while God is never the author of sin, he allowed all these different things to happen. He, he gave authority in these different ways, but he's in control of all things because we find out that the purpose of his control, according to 1 Corinthians 15, is one day the son will show up with a group of people that he's redeemed and made whole and made his, and he'll present them back to the father. The father gave them to him, and now 1 Corinthians 15, he's gonna ha- give them back to the father. In other words, all of you in here that know Jesus along with me are just a giant love gift between the Father and the Son. That's cool. Now again, I don't understand how it went. I, I, we don't know. We get these little glimpses, but again, Deuteronomy 29, 29, there's just certain secret things that God doesn't reveal to us, but we know this was taking place. And these names in the book are important. He was gonna give them ones that before the foundation of the world, these names were written in a book and we don't run into it again until chapter 20. Nobody gets to look into the book. In other words, we don't get to see it until it's opened one day. And in those names, I mean, just think about it. Those of us that know Jesus, our name was written down before God even created the world. Wow. That's power. Yeah, but Todd, you know, all these different things, that's antinomy. God is in control of all things. Now, what was his purpose and plan? His purpose and plan was to create a group of people that would worship the Father and the Son forever. That's what we looked at in Revelation 5. Is at the very end, there's these groups of people that come before the Father and the Son, and they just tell them how amazing they are. In fact, it's all connected to God's redemptive plan. One day, you and I, all of us sitting in here, will one day stand before that throne and we'll tell God, dang God, you're good. Maybe not in that way. You orchestrated all things. You were in control of all things. In fact, when we get to chapter 7, it says salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to what? The Lamb. 
At the very beginning in the mind of God was a lamb and at the very end of the mind is is a lamb and all of it's connected to this love gift between the father and the son in which they orchestrate all things. God never ever being the author of sin, he is always just, he is always right. He is always the one who supersedes all things but we also are now gonna find out his love and his mercy and his care and his tenderness in this way that we can't wrap our minds around right now and it's all gonna be as a love gift between the father and the son. People will say to me sometimes, do you think you can lose your salvation? And I always say to them, can the father fall out of love with the son? Because if the father can't fall out of love with the son, then I can't fall out of his hand. So we look at it in the past, this book that was written. We look into the future. We see this group of people that have been written that now come And they sing praises to God and the father and the son must be saying, see, this is what we were planning and these people that are telling God how phenomenal he is. But don't miss this. It demands a slain literal lamb. In humanity's rebellion and rejection, which they're fully culpable again, there's nobody that gets off the hook, they were gonna see him more fully. I think that's why in a lot of ways when John the Baptist sees Jesus right in John 1, he says, behold the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sin of the world. There's that one in all of humanity. There's where he stands. This great one we've been looking for that we've been reading about all the way through. All these animal sacrifices and lambs that were killed. They were all pointing to this day finally when way back in the day when the slain lamb or the one that was to be slain and the father were talking back and forth. Finally now there's the one that's come to rescue us from our sins. That's him. John was just blown away. He was stoked. Finally this one has arrived. But not only that, don't miss this, is that Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. Don't you love that? All of humanity thought, we'll kill you, we'll show you. Satan, even in his demonic realm, somehow was working against this. But he says, I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. And oh, by the way, this charge I've received from my father all the way back in eternity past. You can't stop my plan. In Christ's loving app, he would show God is just and he's loving. And he did all of this, watch this, so that we might come to the Father. See, in that moment now when Jesus Christ is hanging on the cross, it says he had received sour wine. And just think about these words. Think about this giant picture from eternity past all the way to eternity future. And in this moment, right before he gives up his spirit and dies, he says, it is what? Finished. Father, everything that you planned from here and everything that you see in the future are colliding in this moment. Your love, your grace, your mercy, your justice, your wrath are colliding in this one moment in which everything fits together. And it's no wonder that there were earthquakes. It's no wonder that people came up from the dead. It's no wonder the sun didn't shine for that particular moment. It's no wonder why, because it was the great connection of everything that the Father said was gonna happen, everything that is gonna happen, and the Father in Jesus Christ goes, snap right in the cross. He's in control of all things. There's a tension there that we say, yeah, but gosh, how does that work and what's going on? And it seemed like Satan was winning, but you know in that Colossians 2, with every pound of the nail, with every mocking that they gave him, God was winning. 
God supersedes all things. This passage that we're looking at today shows this. If there's a tension. And on one level we say, yeah, but our human thinking can't get there. And that was Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 1. Human philosophy can't get to this. Human thinking can't get to this. Unless it's revealed to you from God above, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16, you're never gonna understand it because his ways are higher than your ways. He is God. He is supreme. He is in control of all things. We aren't meant now to figure out, guess what we're meant to do? Just worship. Everybody always says to me, you know, at the end, I'm going to go figure it out. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to say, hey, God, you know, how did you do this? And I've you know, I got a few questions for you. I don't think you will. I think in that moment, you will be speechless other than just to sing songs that we were intended to sing for eternity. Now, some of you say, well, that's really nice, but this is the world we live in now. That's great. It's beautiful. Can't wait for it. Where do I play a part in this? Where do I fit? Go back with me to, to, Re- to Revelation 13:7. It says it was allowed, look at this, to make war on the saints and to conquer them. That means to kill them. We find out in Revelation 11:7. You can write that down if you're taking a note. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language. In other words, and I believe this is a future event, there is a real beast who's empowered by Satan. He is the proxy that's going to come onto this earth and he's going to kill saints at a level that we've never seen before. Whoa, Todd. How is it that God can be in control of all things and he's, he's now gonna watch his people as they die? Yeah, he even goes on and explains it even further in 13.10. If anyone's to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone's to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. In other words, it's gonna be tough. Now again, pull yourself back up here for a second. On this human level, we have to acknowledge this world that we live in is brutal. What he's telling them, though, by giving them this image of something grander themselves, is he's giving them hope that in spite of everything that's going on in humanity and even the fact that they might kill me, all these different things, I can know that we have a God that supersedes all things and he's going to bring things to a phenomenal end. I need to know that. In fact, if you lose that, you're in trouble. That image of the victory of Jesus was exactly why I wanted to teach the book of Revelation. We lose that grand victory of Jesus. Then Paul says, we might as well cash this in and quit and not even consider playing this game any longer. But if Jesus Christ truly did die, was buried, rose again, and is coming back one day, then I'll tell you what, that vision of Jesus, I'll do anything for it. It's the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. It's everything that humanity's hoped for. You sit down and you go, yeah, but that's, that's scary. When John's time, there was actually people going through this, and I love this. You know that statement, do not fear? How often does God say that? I dare any of you to look in the Bible and count how many times God says, do not fear. See, in John's time, that was going on. It's not just something I think that's going to happen towards the end. It's not just also something that's already happened. But he says to them, behold, look, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison. What? 
mean, it's one thing if a cop walks up to me and says, hey, uh, yeah, we're gonna have to take you to jail. It's a whole other thing if a cop empowered by Satan walks up and takes me to jail. I just, that sounded really bad. If you're a cop in here, I'm not trying to say that, by the way. <laughs> that you maybe look at this, tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Look at this words, though. Do not fear, but be faithful. But Todd, my marriage has fallen apart. Do not fear, be faithful. My kids are going off the deep end. Do not fear, be faithful. But Todd, I look around the world and it just seems to be so chaotic. Do not fear, be faithful. What he's trying to say to them in this moment is, is you don't have to understand everything. I'm just telling you, I'm in control. And now what is it that we're supposed to do as Christians? Be faithful. Hang in there. He even goes on in verse, in verse four and he says, look, they worship the dragon which had been given authority to the beast and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? In other words, they're hearing this all around them. They're hearing this beast tell them, this beast is greater than all things. He's powerful, he supersedes all things. But John in first John wrote, yeah, but greater is him who's in me than he who's in the world. Don't lose sight of that. They didn't worship the beast and so therefore they were killed. And it's not just a future reality or a past reality. I read an article just this week. Notre Dame did a study in which they found the most persecuted group of people in the world. Guess who they are? Christians. Now, we live in the United States, so we don't experience that very much. But if you live in the Middle East or Asia, you start to understand this is not just a past event. And I would just say this. I don't think it's going to get any better here. Some people might say, oh, great, then I'm going to be fearful. And I think Jesus would say back to us, do not fear. Do not fear. Be faithful. I've got this. I'm in control of all things. And when they, didn't re- re- when they didn't worship the beast, when they got caught up to Satan and his system, this is why I think John had to tell them, don't love the world. The things of this world are something that are just falling away. Don't get trapped in this world. This world is a wonderful world. It's a great place. I love living here. I love playing with my children. I love all the wonderful things of this world, but this world and its system that right now God has given authority in some way to Satan to be the prince of the power of the air in ways that I don't understand, it is passing away and revelation is promising us that one day Jesus Christ is coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will set all things straight. Don't get comfortable here. Don't be Tom Bodet and think somehow we should turn the light on and hang out at Motel 6 when God has so much more for us. Don't lose it. I don't know how many of you watched Star Wars, but the first one, which was the only real Star Wars in my opinion. <laughs> Luke is flying down through the Death Star. You remember this? And all the other guys are flying down through the Death Star. And what does he say? Stay on target. Stay on target. Stay on target. And I believe this is God saying to his people, just stay on target. Don't lose sight of this. I think that's why he says to them in Revelation 13, 10, at the end of it, here's a call for endurance. Endure in this. Stay in the saddle. Don't try to find your way out of the saddle. I hear so many people say, oh, I can't wait for Jesus to come back for everything to be perfect and wonderful. And God is, I think, saying to us, stay on target. Endure. Have faith. Stay in the saddle. 
Revelation is a call to people. This God is in charge of all things. He's working all things towards a wonderful end. And by the way, he's saying, you're a beautiful part of it. Stay in there. Stay in the marriage that's difficult. Stay in the parenting that's difficult. Stay in the reality of this world that we live in. Stay in there. Don't just be hoping. And I get that Paul said it's better for me to die, but he also said it's also good for me to live so that Christ might be shouted out amongst you. So he's just saying, stay in there. Don't worry. God will call you home. Stay faithful. Our job is not to try to control events and, oh, if you're a control freak like me, don't we? Our job is faithfulness. Just be faithful. He says it again in Revelation 14. God always says something twice in case we missed it. Here's a call, he says, for the endurance of the saints, and he's gonna connect it to this other idea, to keep the commandments of God, their faith in Jesus. In other words, stay in there. Do what I've asked you to do. Now, here's the question you have to ask yourself, is why will we endure? Why is it that we'll make it to the end? In Revelation 13, 8, it tells us the reason that you will make it to the end is because long ago, God put your name in a book and what he determined is gonna happen back here, he will not quit until he gets over here. First Corinthians 1, 8, he just says, look, it's he who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus our Christ, our Lord. The reason that we're going to make it is definitely God calls us to be faithful, but he's going to give us the faithfulness. He calls us to endure, but he's going to give us the endurance. He calls us to obey his commandments, but actually in a very cool way, he's going to actually enable us and empower us to be able to keep his commandments. That's why he wrote way back in Ezekiel, oh crud, I went too far, leave Ezekiel in your head. This is the joy of the first service, you get an unfettered view. John 10, why is he going to do it? He says in there, I'm the good shepherd, and I'm going to shepherd you to the end. Look at this. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Earlier we said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This charge I've not re- or I have received from my father. In fact, in John 10, 17, he says, that's the reason that the father actually even loves me. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And look at this in the Greek. Guess what no one means? No one. No one. What about Satan? No one. What about myself? No one. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Our security in that was founded all the way back when the Father and the Son had a a conversation that said, how about we do this? People always say, well, well then then how, how how do you know that you're a follower of Jesus? Well, we can't peek in the book later, but I can tell you this, those that are his endure. Those that are truly his, they they keep his commands. Not perfectly, but in the end, they just endure. One of my favorite characters in Hebrews 11 is Samson. What a loser. He's just like me. Samson was this dude that thought he was all that, just just like me, had huge muscles, just like me. (laughs) 
And people always say, how did he end up in the hall of faith? Because we forget what he did at the very end, don't we? Life may get rocky, different things may go, you may have ups and downs in life, but those who are is will endure to the end. They will suffer when called to suffer, not in perfection, but through this long haul, God's people will be revealed for who they are. I think that's why in John 10, 5, he says, look, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they, they follow me. First Peter talks about it, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not the perishable things such as silver or gold, 19, but with, here's the literal lamb, the precious blood of Christ, the lamb that was planned before eternity passed. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times. Look at this, for the sake of who? It's this cosmic plan that suddenly he goes, oh, by the way, it's also about you. Have you ever just sat and wondered how much the Father loves you? He loves you so much that in eternity past, he crafted a plan that was a love gift between he and the Son, but it's for the sake of you. He adores us. He cares for us. And through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are not in yourselves, but in who? God. And I love in Ezekiel, this is where I was meaning to go, so scratch everything you said a while ago. It was all part of his promise that I'm gonna give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit, uh-oh, here's the third member of the Trinity, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. How am I gonna get from, from eternity past to a future future? There is a God that has now in all of his glory and strength empowered you with the Holy Spirit because of the death of Jesus. You will make it at the end because when God promised, he said, what I begin, I will finish, Philippians 1.6. Our God is unstoppable. Now, why was he doing it? This is one of the things I have to do in counseling all the time, not just with myself, but I've got to remind people all the time of this very reality. Is so often we say, I can't. I can't, Todd. I can't do this. I can't stay in there. It's too difficult. And I look back at them and I say, no, you were designed to not do can't. You, this sounds so cheesy. You were designed to do what you, that you can yeah, but I fail. Welcome to the club. But I struggle. Yes, you do. I strain. I need endurance. Yes, you do. But how do I get endurance? Thanks for asking me that question. Romans 5 says this. He says there's this reality of suffering that produces what? Endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. You will never have hope unless you suffer. You will never have character unless you suffer. You will never have endurance unless you suffer. And so in the midst of suffering as a loving father looking at you, I am orchestrating this whole plan together in such a way that you look like Jesus in the very end of this. I'm preparing you for something great in the very end, but I'm also preparing this in such a way that at the very end you will sing my praises. 
That's his point when he gets into Revelation 21, three through four. Stay on target. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day. All of us that are sitting there that are his, suddenly we're gonna hear, look at this, a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He'll dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. I love this. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also he said to John, write down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers, the one who endures, the one who stays in the saddle will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But don't miss this. It started all the way back here. And there's gonna come a day in which Jesus Christ is gonna right all wrongs. And he's saying to us, stay faithful, endure, hang in there, trust me, be faithful, do what I've asked you to do. And somewhere in there, when we get to Revelation 7, all of us are gonna look at each other and we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing like we've never sung before. And everything that God had intended to do from the very beginning, all those names will finally be standing there. And what's it going to be like for him to read every name? And somebody's probably thinking, I wonder if there's a name missing. And the answer is no. All of them standing there going, no way. You, you, you did it. You started way back here and you, and you came over here and you accomplished everything in between. God, you are powerful and you're able. And not only that, but angels are going to sing myriads. It says in myriads and people all over the place. There's going to be crazy four beast people that we don't even know what they are. 24 elders bowing down before him. It is going to be the climax of the moment of what God said he was going to do way back here. You cannot stop our God. In the very end, he will be victorious. I say that to you today because we have need of hope. Don't we? We're battling it. One of my favorite things to do is to give gifts. I hate receiving gifts, but I love giving gifts. Now, you know what's in the gift, don't you? You buy the gift, and so this year I, I, I bought my kids different gifts, and I couldn't wait to see what was going to happen when we would open them, and I knew what was in the gift. And my kids knew that there was a gift, and they kind of had asked for different things, so they had an idea of what was in there. But I was actually giddy, not waiting. For, I couldn't wait for the moment where finally my kids will start to tear open the box and open it up, and there was the gift in front of them. This gift between the Father and the Son you need to understand our father is giddy for the moment that it gets opened. Sometimes we wonder, does he, does he even care that I'm going to be there? You better believe it because he wrote your name way back there. But I think this is also why we need the church. I need people in my life to tell me, hang in there. It's worth it. Stay in the saddle. Endure. And you need people that way too. 
We need people to remind us that we have a God that's in control of all things, and it's worth it. Amen? All right. I'm going to show you a video of uh, Mark and Jen Allen, and uh, you'll kind of get to see a little bit about how God worked this through in their life. So it was uh, me and my neighbor would typically go out one to two times a week early in the morning and uh, on road bikes. And we were traveling on LA Avenue and we came up to Erringer. It was 5.45 in the morning and uh, we came up to a stoplight, so we stopped. The light turned green. We continued on and about halfway through the intersection, the car rear-ended me going approximately 45 miles an hour. I got hit, went up on the hood, poked a hole in the windshield with my head and the guy proceeded to uh, slam on the brakes obviously as I'm on the hood as he slammed on the brakes then I fall onto the the street Um, I don't remember any of this but what's interesting is one of the first responders happens to be sitting behind the camera right now as we speak and what was awesome is a testimony is is I just remember how Jen was saying how the paramedic was so good and such a blessing to my kids and how he would uh, just get down to their level and just communicate with them and she knew that he was a believer and that's just it was a killer opportunity and just a a way that the lord did a work and just to remember how uh, the body of believers is huge and the lord is ordained every second and it's up to us to to remember to walk in that and to remember that he is in control After the accident, I was in uh, Los Robles, um, broken nose, dislocated jaw, severe concussion, um, obviously a lot of road rash. um, And what was awesome is it seemed like after uh, a couple hours, people from Cornerstone were already coming and visiting. It was amazing, like Mark said, just to have so many people come around and support us during that time. That's not something that we could have, I could have done on my own. I mean, people brought us meals, people, just the constant support, um, calls and text messages and people praying with us and for us was something that you, um, that you just can't put a price on. It's just, that support is amazing when you're going through something so tough. Uh, One of the things that the Lord has always taught us is that um, we have to be connected to the church by serving in the church. And that way you can be known by the people and they can know you. And when you, you go through things like this, like Mark's accident or just struggles, that you have a body of believers that come around you and support you. It's important to live life with them and, and be transparent with them because a lot of times that we we don't end up being transparent and then we're going through things and we could be around a bunch of people, but because we don't open up, they don't even know what's going on. And so we can tend to go through these, these things on our own or even have resentment because we don't think anyone cares. But the reality is, is that we're not being transparent and we're not opening ourselves up to the family of believers to allow them to minister to the, us and allow us to minister to them and to be the, the family that the Lord has asked us to be.
When we arranged the camera guy, I totally didn't even know this story. And Jeff, the camera guy who goes to Cornerstone, was actually also the guy that was there on the scene when he was taking care of everything. See, I think again, we forget, God can do whatever he wants. He knew he was going to be hit by that bike, or by the car. He knew that. But in the midst of it also, man, just the way that the body of Christ got to show up and through that suffering produced endurance and endurance character, and in it, character produces hope. So I'd like everybody to stand up. If you're not involved with people, let me just say this, you need to be. If right now you're afraid to open yourself up to a group of people, now's the time to do that. If you have any questions, you can go to the back. They'd be happy to answer any questions for you. But don't miss this. This is the main point I want to hit. In the name of the Father, who in eternity past set in motion a plan that while our little minds can't comprehend it, it was a powerful, powerful plan. In the name of the Son, who hooked everything together so that this plan might come to its phenomenal end of people that worship him forever, dying on the cross, laying down his life as the good shepherd, allowing us to be the people that he's called us to be. In the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, who has sealed us for the day of redemption, and nothing can stop that. Nothing can in any way separate us from the love of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Live without fear and live in faithfulness this week because our God is able. Amen? Amen. All right, God bless you.